In a world where horrid stenches and piercing screams come not from the realms of fantasy, but from the nightmare of reality. Come two heroes bonded by love and the kind of desperation only parents can know. No, God, please, no, no, no! Behold, RPGs and Baby Makes Three, the greatest podcast in the history of all podcasts by parents who have made a podcast about being gamers with a baby. Did I mention it's a podcast? Here are your hosts, Gretchen Hilmers and Rob Hessler. This is RPGs and Baby Makes 3, Gretchen Hilmers, the luminescent Gretchen Hilmers, Rob Hessler, and our special guest for this week, a return guest, Benjamin Sperduto. Ben, it's so good to have you back. Last readout games, last time we had you on, it was for your augmented Kickstarter, and now you're doing a Kickstarter for Hounds of the Czar, which is a little bit of an older game, but you're putting it out in print now. And so, so glad to have you on. Welcome back on to uh, RPGs and Baby Makes 3. Yeah, I'm excited to be back. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> so we're going to talk all about this game, and I love it. I had a chance to read it. It was part of the augmented Kickstarter, the digital package, which I got all of your old games. Um, and I'm just going to say right now, with the Kickstarter going on now for Hounds of the Czar, which runs through the uh, Tuesday, the October 22nd through 11 p.m. Eastern time, Um Man, that's such a good value. You sent so many games. And there was like that bonus game that was like 75 pages. You're like, oh, I'm not really done with this, but you guys can just have it. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> it's getting it off my chest more, I think, than everybody else's chest. <laughs> uh, release it out into the world. But I want to talk about Hounds. Of, we were going to talk about Hounds of the Czar. But before we do that, I, I have to ask you, first off, how do you pronounce... Oprichniki? Oh, um, Oprichniki. Oprichniki, okay. That, that's the way I've heard it pronounced, so I, I could be wrong. <laughs> so that's a critical element of the game because you play one of them and that is your role in this game. So let's, first of all, let's just start from the beginning. Tell us what the game is all about. Like describe it to everybody that's out there listening. So the basic premise of Hounds of the Czar is um, it kind of falls into the trope of you as of you playing as a uh, monster hunter, supernatural um, kind of task force. Um, but the twist on this is that it is set in uh, 16th century Russia uh, during the reign of Ivan the Terrible. Uh, specifically during a period of time when Ivan the Terrible launches into this kind of strange strategy of reforming Russian society and creates this, um, creates this, it's not really an organization, I kind of characterize it that way, and it's been characterized this way, um, but creates this kind of class called the, um, the, the Aprichnik, the Aprichnina. Um, so it, it's kind of applied in a couple different ways. So technically speaking, the Aprichnina is, um, the portion of Russia or a portion of, of Russia that is, uh, under the domain of the czar and is, um, under his, uh, direct control and is, um, ruled over or administrated by his chosen, uh, people who are kind mm -hmm. of uh, governing over it. Basically what happened was Ivan the Terrible, who never got along with the boyar noble class of Russia, uh, he, he kind of has, a, he takes his ball and goes home at some point. He abdicates, um, he retires to this, um, this estate outside of Moscow and is like, ski guys and get him. Um, <laughs> he's mad because... Ivan Terrible is always upset about something. They're not supporting his Livonian War um, 
uh, stridently enough. He's having all kinds of problems. So he decides to go and out there and like, they basically, basically the Boyar class who can't really administer anything without the czar uh, and his government. Cause like all political authority kind of flows from the czar sort of thing. Um, they come back hat in hand and are like, please come back. We'll give it you want. Please come back. He says, okay, here are my conditions. I'm dividing the country into two. All of the people who are loyal to me get all the best land and the rest of you get the scraps. <laughs> um, he kind of like creates this group, this class of note of people called the Aprichniks. Um, and there's all sorts of, I mean, honestly, it's a hard period of Russian history to kind of like get on top of, especially if you're reading the English sources, which are kind of limited. Right. Um, but um it's kind of popularly remembered as this period of time where a this kind of like precursor of a secret police force is sort of running around the country, uh, persecuting enemies of the czar, um, um, you know, kind of like uh, they're kind of an instrument of the czar's will directly upon the people everywhere. And he kind of bypasses all the other administrative um, elements of the state, which in 16th century Russia are pretty chaotic and ineffective. Um, and it should be mentioned that the pre the Aprichna are chaotic and ineffective and the whole institution <laughs> is trapped after they like screw up the defense of Novgorod. I think it's Novgorod during the war, the Livonia war and the city falls and Ivan says, all right, screw this. And he scraps the whole thing. And like, it's a, it's a whole big thing, but it, like, and it's a very short period of Russian history. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's remembered as um, it kind of lives on in Russian lore. There's a there's a whole opera about it that's written in I think the 19th century. Um, this Soviet history deals with it in this weird way of framing it as like a precursor of like the communist uprising because mm. Ivan strips away the landed nobility of their titles and gives it to his loyal servants who are men of the people quote unquote um I, of course like that's not not at all what this looks like <laughs> but there's there's like kind of a whole fascinating like subgenre of history of like how soviet historians like reinterpret different aspects of soviet history um but um yeah so sorry i've like gone way far afield um, <laughs> no but you know what actually what's so interesting is about that is you're you're, you're nerding out on this and this is going to kind of lead into my next question i think that this you're kind of there i mean what got you what inspired you to write this game about this very specific period and setting in history because i mean you're obviously really passionate about it it's like bouncing around all in your brain here so like <laughs> what what kind of got you like i mean thinking I really want to write a game about this specific period. Yeah, so it seemed like a good um, a, a good spot to kind of shoehorn a game into because it would be very easy to just go with the idea of, okay, we're in 16th century Russia. Uh, there's super, there's probably supernatural things afoot, you know, a classic gaming trope. I've got this weird organization that exists for a very short period of time that is directly loyal to the czar. So it kind of created this idea of, all right, well, the players can be, and they can be drawn from all sorts of weird uh, or disparate elements of Russian society uh -huh. uh, thrown together into this group and they're all personally dependent upon and loyal to the czar. And then I could kind of throw in the angle of, well, maybe the czar is not on the good side here. I mean, it's Ivan right. the Terror, probably not. Um, but like maybe <laughs> there's some sort of supernatural corruption going on with the czar. And maybe there's a magical connection that you have to him that enables you to do, you know, cool, role-playing you know historical role-playing stuff um so that was kind of where it where the uh where the angle came in uh but as far as like where why i wanted to do a, a game about it uh I, I don't know if i mentioned this uh last time i was on or to probably mentioned it here or there um my my uh, master's is actually in russian history mm, right right so I, I studied a period that was a little bit after this uh because i studied the 17th century primarily um but um, you, know, you, you kind of go back and you're, you're doing this whole, you know, kind of whole era. Um, 
so I was always really fascinated by by Ivan the Terrible because it's just one of the most unique right. periods yeah. in Russian I'm history, totally. which is really saying something. Because <laughs> <Russian laughs> there's of a few, <laughs> um, but uh, especially because there's um, I mean, it, probably the most famous imagery associated with Ivan the Terrible, aside from like the famous uh, artwork, is from Sergei Eisenstein's uh, two-part film series that comes out in the 1940s mm -hmm. um, which, um oh what's the actor's name with uh starring nikolai cherkasov uh which are just stunning 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 works of film and they cover this whole era of the aprichna and you get to see the these kind of um you know, these sort of roving gangs of Ivan the Terrible running around, running around the realm, uh, purging the realm of, of the Tsar's enemies. And you know, th there's, there are descriptions of them from uh, kind of contemporaneous descriptions of them. It's questionable accuracy. Um, a lot of, a lot of the written record for the time is right. either propaganda written by people opposed to the regime or by foreign mercenaries who were trying to impress other European lords into giving them jobs. That's like a whole time honored trope of like early modern Europe. Um, but they you know, they're described as they wear black. They have the, uh, they have these dog heads on their saddles. They carry a broom with them because they're sweeping away the enemies of the czar. <laughs> all this imagery. Was, and, I, and I just had to throw it uh, into a game. And, and I loved the idea of, and this is something that really comes across in uh, the Eisenstein films, is the paranoia and suspicion right. of Ivan the Terrible that filters down into just every aspect of Russian government and Russian society. Like, and uh, I mean, you could argue that that's kind of a through line through a lot of Russian history is, is mm -hmm. this paranoia and, um, you know, suspicion of who's talking to who, who can I trust? Um, you know, there's, I, I um, the, the guy that um, runs my, my son's music school, actually, uh, he's, a, he's an American lawyer who works at a firm, he has a firm in Moscow. Oh. Uh, so he kind of represents like American businesses in, in Russia. And he was explaining to me one time that, you know, the thing about Russian society and Russian culture is that like people in like the inner, if you're in like someone's like inner circle or kind of inner family, like it's like a trust, like, and a trust and a love like none you will ever experience. But if you're outside of that, good luck. <laughs> like good, <laughs> good luck breaking into or winning someone's confidence or getting someone, um, you know, to, to support you on something because, you know, decades, centuries of these just oppressive regimes, a, uh, you know, an omnipresent police state, uh, you know, informants everywhere. Like there's just, it, you just don't know who you can trust. Uh, so I really wanted to bring that angle into the game. That's so cool. You know, I, I love the way that you're describing that and your passion for it. And it shows in the game. And one of the things I think is really interesting, and I think this really comes from your extensive knowledge of Russian history is the backgrounds that you put together, the, the sort of character creation tables where players have the option of sort of rolling or choosing, and they're very interesting. Um, you've got character origin, flaws, and secrets. There's a, a, a characteristic called encounter, which essentially describes um, something horrible that the PC has seen before gameplay begins. And then as well as qualities, which can have in-game mechanical implications, but all of them feel like they're coming from a place of real understanding of the period where when you put all of the pieces together, you have like a character that somebody like me who doesn't necessarily know anything about, barely anything about Russian history, like I felt like I could randomly roll on this and then like start to fi find myself in the mindset of like what one of these characters would be. So I don't know, beyond sort of, um, rolling for attributes and we'll get to that in a second what were you kind of going for with these tables as far as the character creation process goes and sort of what are you hoping that i mean am i 
kind of falling into what you were looking to get out of players, like playing the game, like, oh, because not everybody's going to know 16th yeah. century Russian history. Yeah, I mean, that, that's totally what I what is aiming for. What's funny is I think the, if I'm remembering correctly, because uh, like this game has existed in some way, shape or form for many years. Um, so I think a lot of those random tables actually preceded a lot of the rules for the game. They were kind of the first thing that I came up with. Mm. Um, so you start out with kind of like, and I, I tried to like weight the charts a little bit so that, um, you know, you're more likely to kind of come from one background than another. I always loved the random character creation from the Warhammer role-playing game or the Warhammer uh, fantasy RPG, mm -hmm. which like you would roll out your stats and then you roll your career randomly. And you, you know, you, you'd go into the game thinking like, oh, it's Warhammer. I'm going to be like a, a knight of the, you know, the, the empire or something. It's like, oh, I'm a rat catcher. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a barber surgeon. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of tried to shoehorn in a lot of the, um, kind of the, the cultural diversity of 16th century Russia. So, you know, more often than not, you're going to be uh, someone, you're going to be a, uh, a Russian who is from like a couple different like social classes, but you could be from the noble class, you could be a foreigner, uh, you could be, um, um, you know, you could be from all of these kind of different places. And then from there, I wanted to have, the, I, I knew it needed to have ready-made backgrounds uh, because most people are going to come into this not mm -hmm. having grip on or firm understanding of what 16th century Russia looks like uh, or what the social structure looks like and all that. So I tried to make the, some of those background um, um, charts. So like creating like different relationships that you have, um, you know, how did you come into the czar's surface? How did you, uh, how did you first encounter the supernatural? Uh, Cause I, I definitely wanted it to be like, you're kind of, you're kind of someone who knows stuff is up. <laughs> There's weird things going on in the dark corners of the realm. Um, so, you know, kind of laying out what that is. Uh, and then the secret aspect was really important because I knew right. I wanted mission to be a big component of the game. So there had to be something that you did something or a family member did something that if it were to come out, you would be in deep trouble. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that actually. And what's kind of interesting, and that kind of gets you were talking, you've been talking a lot about the paranoia aspect. And what I love is that you've got actually a couple of mechanics in the game that play up on that. There's the randomized sort of mechanic of uh, getting black marks. And we'll talk about that in a little bit because I want to talk about the Zardai, which um, I'm really hoping that people watch this will back here there. Um, the, the Kickstarter, so that way that that special die will be unlocked with a stretch goal, because that's what I really want. <laughs> um, but uh, but also the um, in addition to um, in addition to that, you've got the loyalty track, and there is this really interesting. And Gretchen and I were talking about it in the car today. This really interesting sort of mechanic where. If you do certain things, even if they actually might help you succeed in a given mission, they could actually point you, point more suspicion on your character. And ultimately, the other players could decide that you're going to be executed. <laughs> and I thought that that was so fascinating. First of all, it's super brutal. But <laughs> I kind of like, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit of a sadist, but I kind of like that when you're thinking like there's almost two levels of the game that you're thinking about. You're thinking about succeeding at your mission and doing whatever it takes, but then also remaining in the good graces of not only the czar, but of the people who are your, are your party members. And it's like a player versus player mechanic that's built into the game. I don't but, know, so talk about that. Interesting enough, I, I just, I. Conversely, you can support your players, your your co-players as well. So you can work together or you can tear each other down. I love this this competition that seems to be happening. Yeah, I, I tried to make it um and this is like something I tinkered with a lot because um, you know, I wanted there to be that element of being able to accuse people. 
um, and like trying to give it like just enough of a mechanical element mm -hmm. that you could kind of be incentivized to do it, but not so much that you're constantly like just throwing everybody under the bus, but more of like a, because what I wanted to emulate was that idea of, you know, you're in the middle of doing something and somebody looks over at you and it's like, oh, that was interesting. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to make a note of that. <laughs> <laughs> Something happened here. And, um, and like, I mean, kind of one of the, the bad things about it is that like it, you know, I, 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 when I had, I had run the system by a few people and, you know, they had pointed out that like one of the problems is that, you know, you could kind of get ganged up on and just get dragooned by the other players and be in trouble. And, you know, I, I thought long and hard about it and eventually just came to the conclusion. It's like, well, I, I mean, yeah, that's what getting unfairly accused is. Yeah. <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I wanted to kind of bring that in um, as much as I could. And a lot of the, the inspiration for that system comes from a game called Cold City uh, okay. that by um, um, – it was released. Uh, uh, Contested Ground Studio was the um, was the name of the um, company that did it. And oh god, I'm totally blanking on, on the guy's name. I'll remember it like halfway through. He also did the game um, um, uh, Malcolm Craig. That's his name. Um, he's a, a Scottish guy who's now actually a, a history professor. <laughs> um, and it was this game where um, you played as members of a multinational police force in post world war ii berlin so like and all the players had to be from a different country so one player was french one player was british one player was british one player was soviet and there was a trust element you had to like rank the other players according to trust and if you really trusted someone they could help you out on your tests and like went back and forth and everybody had a secret that you were trying to keep um you were trying to keep from everybody else. It was all, all that kind of, so a lot of that inspiration came directly out of that game, which is like fantastic. And like, sadly it's out of print and like, you can't even get it digitally anymore. Um, I know I just looked it up and like, it's not even on drive through RPG. Like you can't. Yeah, the, um, that creator also did a game called A-State, which is now getting, um, it, it just got a Kickstarter for a second edition um, from um, uh, Handiwork Games, I think. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, hoping, <laughs> hoping that they could talk Malcolm into doing a, another edition of Cold City because it was incredible. Um, but yeah, so I, I wanted to um, kind of get that same that same feel of like always being having to like weigh every action that you take of thinking about how is this going to be perceived? Um, because ultimately, that's one of the things that kind of rips the appreciation apart is that they're constantly informing on each other. And I mean, that's kind of what tears like a lot of the ki these kind of like, you know, secret police organizations apart is because even they don't know who to trust anymore, you know? And like, it's kind of like the age old, like authoritarian impulses. You have like one secret police agency that's being watched by another secret intelligence agency. And like, <clears throat> so you're always kind of like trying to, trying to bounce off the two. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and just so that people know, it's like there are, within the loyalty mechanic, there are stipulations as to what allows you to accuse or defend a particular person. And to be fair, it is a little bit easier to defend one of your fellow fellow yeah. party members than it is yeah, to you accuse have to like them. Build up, you have to like build up uh, kind of the basis for an accusation before you can just go leveling them. Um, I think there was an earlier version of the game where you, you you could ba you basically could just like accuse anybody at any moment. And I was like, okay, well, that's having seen like a uh, you know a vampire masquerade game explode into like you know acrimony and like ruined friendships. Like, okay, we, we need something a little bit more. <laughs> a little bit more well, than that. we'll have to um, at one point, Amanda. This happened to you know Amanda, or who's often on our on the podcast, and she is a. Um, a member of our gaming group, her and another member of our gaming group were betrayed in a vampire game by a very, very close friend, like a personal, close personal friend. And their <laughs> friendship was never the same. It was like a long running game and it was so brutally, 
So that's kind of the, these kind of things can be dangerous. You have to know going in. And when Gretchen and I were talking about it before earlier today, and we were kind of discussing what we might go over, it's like I think I'm I'm okay. I love this idea if I know it going in. If you know that right. part of it is you're trying to carefully navigate that kind of mechanic, then I'm totally down with it. It's when you don't expect it that it's like, yeah. okay, that's when you ruin friendships. You know what I mean? So <laughs> Yeah, and, and honestly, I felt that I felt that having some type of a mechanical element kind of like takes the teeth out of that a little bit. A little bit. bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like in a, um, um, you know, like everybody gets mad when you get like when you get betrayed in Risk, or a, you oh, know, yeah. board game X, um, or um, you know, but, but like you, it, it's kind of like built in, like you know it's coming. You know, well, I guess Risk is a bad example because there's no not an example of that. I guess a better one would be like, um, um, like diplomacy, where like betrayal is kind of built, baked into the game, or um, uh, the. Um, uh, the Game of Thrones board game is kind oh, of yeah. <laughs> like the game like incentivizes you to betray one another. So I I felt that like by having kind of that upfront mechanic where you kind of know how it works and you know how you get accused, how other people can get accused, you know, that kind of gives you that, that kind of gives you a little bit of knowledge going in that I think takes the teeth out of it a little bit. So we're talking about, well, you know, before we move off of the kind of narratively based mechanics that you put in here, let's just kind of hit on two others that I wanted to mention really quickly that I think play a major role in the game, but they're kind of, you know, just like a half a page in the book. And so, you know, they're, they're not, and they're not as necessarily an obvious and that's the black marks and taint. So first of all, black marks are basically accrued randomly. I mean, it's kind of a like you get bad luck and you you get these black marks, um, and then ultimately that kind of brings in the psychic connection that you have with the czar, and you have to appease the czar essentially. But let's talk about. And I want to talk more about the czar die in a second, so let's keep that to the back. But talk a little bit about taint because I thought this was interesting, um, in that you kind of take on these supernatural like abilities and mutations essentially but eventually you your character is taken from you you essentially become a monster and you're no longer a player character anymore yeah i've always loved the um i mean i know i had mentioned warhammer uh er earlier and i guess that's kind of like a bigger influence on this that i realized i always loved the way that chaos magic worked and how it would just the more you contact you had with chaos, the more chance there was for it to corrupt you. And like, I love nothing more than a random mutation table. <laughs> for sure, yeah. <laughs> or a random like spell disaster table. They're just the best. Actually, just random tables in general. I love tables. Uh, tables are great. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I so I wanted to have um, this idea that kind of like the that. The, the power that you're drawing upon when you're either invoking the czar's name uh, and invoking the will of the czar to try to succeed on a task, which is what the czar die is used for. Uh, and it, it's very tempting because it can be used for pretty much anything. Like it's very limited. It's not very, li- I mean, you're limited by how many you have. Um, but um, because, I, I, like you said, like it is usable. You can essentially, the rule states that the character player can make an argument for why they should be allowed to use it. And the, yeah. the game master is essentially encouraged to sort of allow it if they make a good argument. So essentially, if you have good role players, it's almost always available, like if you yeah. want to use it. Yeah, you can use it quite a lot. Because I mean, at the end of the day, you're serving the will of czar and anything that you're doing is furthering the, the you know mm-hmm. the, <laughs> the will of the czar. So yes, I can invoke the, uh, the czar's power. Um, but tapping into that power could potentially go badly. Um, and especially if you fail <laughs> um, and then you start, uh, you, it's basically this idea that like you're tapping into this power uh, and if you're, you're failing and you're using it badly uh, in the, uh, in the eyes of the czar, you're kind of accruing uh, these black marks and these negative marks. And 
as you get more of them, you'll get to a point where you start suffering from the corruption because you're, mm-hmm. you're, 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 draw, you're tapping into that, that power that has somehow corrupted the czar and is slowly sort of poisoning the entire land. Uh, and, but the paradoxical thing is as you start getting that corruption and you start getting that taint and you start getting those mutations, most of them are actually really useful. Yes, they are. <laughs> so there's a dynamic that you're becoming more powerful, the more taint you acquire, but you're also becoming less human and getting closer to potentially going over to becoming a, a complete inhuman monster and losing control of the character. Yeah, I love mechanical things like that, which are crunchy, useful, like in a game, like you can write it down on the sheet and you can say, oh, this is a cool power. Like, and you can look at your character sheet and say that, but then it also has like a really interesting, like narrative thing that's attached to it. Because I mean, like when I think about playing this game, what excites me is like the notion of my character becoming more and more twisted and more and more reliant on those kind of like powers. Like, cause you're starting yeah. to be like, you've like, there's almost a kind of like a God complex or something like built into it. Like, oh, I can do these things that other people can. And you become almost like quote unquote more invincible, but actually that's what is making you more inhuman and like more twisted and ultimately a character that is played by the game master and no longer (laughs) played by you, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I, I I did try to kind of build it up in such a way that uh, it's actually kind of difficult to get to the point where you start getting a lot of those mutations. Um, Like, cause, because it relies on kind of a lot of randomness. Mm -hmm. So you have to get kind of unlucky several times in a row over a period of time. So it's not something, it's usually something that's more likely to happen if you play for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. You don't have my dice. You don't know, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) I I like, like, I like that randomness. I like the idea that things could, things could just go badly and you could start getting, you know, you could start building up a lot of corruption uh, if if you get a run of bad luck, um, but I think you know generally speaking, um, you know it's not something that you'll you'll normally see in like just a session, you know, a few sessions. Um, but if you play for a long campaign, you know, long enough, that'll start coming up. And the you know, I I, I probably should have emphasized it a little bit more uh, in the text, but I, I feel like it's kind of a thing that's fairly obvious. Uh, where a lot of these powers that you're getting are not things that are easily concealable. No, it's yeah. obvious in the cast. Yeah, like, yeah. like, like claws. I mean, like your arm turns into a tentacle. Like that—that—that's kind of hard to hide. So, like, a little bit. So it does kind of make your life a lot more difficult. And then, of course, you've got the other people around you who are like, uh, "How much yeah. do I trust this guy?" Um, <laughs> oh, uh, so. Yeah, so it's, um, but he's also really useful. So do I really want to be throwing him to the wolves? Um, yeah, so so I was kind of trying to walk a little bit of a balance there with that. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's what's great is because that's really the appeal of a long-term campaign where you kind of know, it's almost like, you know, like the um, a lot of the White Wolf games and things like that, where you know at the very, by the end, if you play it right, you're kind of loose. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you're kind of moving towards like, a darkness where the character becomes unplayable and yeah. that is really appealing i guess maybe i am a sadist the more i think about this the more i'm like i really it's like i always like to play call of cthulhu because i just and i kind of always hope inside that my character will die during the session get ripped <laughs> apart by some horrible monster <laughs> all right well let's talk a little bit about the kind of the real basics like the the rule set um You've got it based around four attributes, physical, intelligence, wits, and faith. And you're using D6s for almost every role, except for the the czar die, the, the czar die which is uh, a D4. And kind of how would you describe the mechanics in general? Like, I mean, as far as how would you relate House of the Tsar to, you know, other games? Like, I mean, it seems like it's fairly simple mechanic yeah. as far as like deciding success versus failure and such. Yeah, so the, um, your your basic test is you're rolling the three dice, and you know, your attributes are going to range from about like three to eighteen, and you're just you're just trying to roll under your attributes. Um, and the that that kind of like three d six roll under is uh, it's sort of stolen straight from GURPS. 
That's kind mm. of the same like resolution system that GURPS uses. Um, I just liked the 3D6 instead of a single die because it's, you know, it's it's a little more of a of a bell curvy kind of distribution. So, you know, you're, you're kind of more likely to succeed than not <clears throat> most of the time at the things you're good at. <clears throat> and then also since you're rolling the three dice, that made it easier to implement the qualities, uh, which mm -hmm. are kind of your skills. I'm not sure why I called them qualities instead of skills, honestly. <laughs> if I went back, I would probably change that. Um, well, it does add a certain unique, I think the flavor well, I, I of them, so. the flavor, well, yeah, the flavor's not quite skills. They're like, right. they are features almost. They're more like features than skills. Yeah, it's kind of things that you're sort of innately good at, at you're practiced mm -hmm. at. Um, and basically the way it works is you make your, your attribute roll. And then if you have, if you are performing a test that your quality applies to, you can re-roll any of those dice. <clears throat> and so having the 3d6 made it so that it's like, oh, okay, I can re-roll multiple dice. I don't have to re-roll all of them. I can just re-roll one or here or there. <clears throat> um, and then the czar die is kind of a special die that when you roll it, it has, uh, it's basically coded outcomes. If you if you roll a four, you automatically succeed. The czar favors you. Um, if you roll a, uh, a three, it's like a minus three on your rolls because remember you're trying to get low rolls. So a, a negative is good. Um, uh, two is a minus two. And then if you roll one, nothing happens unless you fail the test. <laughs> if you failed the test and you roll a one, you have uh, drawn the czar's ire <laughs> and uh, you get, and that's how you get a black mark. Yeah, uh, that's so cool. There was an earlier version where like anytime you rolled a one, you got a black mark. And I was like, that, that's, that's, that's a one in four chance. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's advanced uh, hounds of the czar. So combat is uh, super simple, super quick. Uh, I kind of stole the, uh, the, the basic combat mechanic out of um, uh, games like Into the Odd and Electric Bastion Land where you don't roll the hit, you automatically hit. Um, and then you just roll for, you roll whatever damage value your die has. Um, and then if you have armor, you roll the armor and you subtract the armor from the damage value. Apply that to hit points. Once you get through the hit points, you start reducing your physical attributes. Um, and then once you, once those are gone, you're DED dead. Um, but um, I, I kind of, I, I love the argument that uh, was made for, um, I think it was for End of the Odds specifically, where you don't, in a game, and it's kind of like a rules light system, you don't want combat to last long. Right. Uh, you, you kind of want combat to have like almost like a three act structure where like the battle starts, you make your initial decisions and then you hit a turning point where you can kind of tell pretty quickly which direction this fight is going to go in. It's like, okay, either we're going to win in another turn or two, or we need to get out of here because we're going to lose. <laughs> We have misjudged the situation and we need to get out now. Um, and then you have the kind of the conclusion which you're either running or you're winning or you stand your ground and you die. Um, or um, actually um, you don't die because the rules stipulate when you go down to, when you reduce zero, you can kind of decide whether whether you're taking someone captive or whether you're, whether right. you're killing them or, or, or something like that. Um, but it, yeah, it's kind of just, I mean, I think for a game like, um, you know, like Pathfinder or like even D&D, &D, where you have like a lot of, a lot of tactical choices to make, um, those games are kind of built for combat. Um, you know, they're yeah. built to be played on a grid. Um, you know, they're built to make, you have all these abilities on your character sheet that like interlock with these other tactical decisions you can make. Um, so kind of like a quick and dirty combat system in that kind of a game sort of like undermines the whole premise of the game, uh -huh. <laughs> um, which is not to say the game's all about combat, but like that's what your character is kind of built to do or what your abilities are, are built to. You get know. experience and advance for defeating monsters i mean right. like that's and, the main way now yeah. there's there of course there, that's not the only way but 
there's a reason why there's an XP uh, value underneath every monster because you're supposed sure. to kill it and take that XP. <laughs> I mean, that's like the point of it. Yeah, I like what you describe how you describe the combat. Is the system as highly abstract as intended to be fast, flexible, and brutal? And it most definitely is, particularly when you consider the ambush um, mechanic, the oh, ambush yeah. <laughs> part of it, where if you're ambushed or you are the ambusher, you're pretty much winning. I mean, it's like, I mean, it, it is such a huge advantage to get the jump on your opponent or a disadvantage for them to get the jump on yeah. you because it's which, really Which is hurt. kind of drawing on, like, if you remember, like, original, original D&D, &D, like, having that surprise round was just, like, I mean, if, if you had surprise, you were almost certainly going to win. And if you got ambushed, it was just, it was going to be a bad day. <laughs> Which makes actually perfect sense if you think about it from like a real true combat sense. And I like that you use the word brutal. There's a lot, you actually think you use the word brutal many times in this game, I will say. But I think that that is good. And I, and I, and again, it kind of, it's more of a focus on the narrative and you just, you're in and out of the combat. It's not really meant to, it seems like to take very long, you know? Yeah, frankly, um, like House of the Tsar is kind of a game where if you are getting into a toe-to-toe -to -toe combat with someone or something, you, like, I don't want to say you're playing the game wrong, but you probably messed up somewhere. <laughs> right. um, because, like, I wanted to have that feeling of, you know, if you're fighting something supernatural, it's, it's probably tougher than you. Um, so you're going to be overmatched. Uh, if you're fighting it and it's a natural environment, you're really overmatched. Um, you know, and like, I, I, I wanted to grab onto that, um, you know, that feeling of an authentic, <laughs> uh, medieval kind of experience of, look, you go into a fight with somebody with sharpened metal objects and muskets bad things are going to happen really quickly and you very rapidly lose control of the situation. Like, mm -hmm. However you thought it was going to play out might not be the way it plays out. And so it's probably best to put things in your favor. So you don't have to be in that situation. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a really good point. Look, I want to um, talk about one more section here in the book here, and then I want to let you go. Cause we've been talking for a while here and I don't want to, keep you for too long but I, I did I was really really impressed and I kind of wanted to save my favorite part of the whole book for the last and that's the GM section it's basically the last about 20 pages of the book and you've got a really nice little overview of history in there but you're also kind of giving us like as a GM as GMs like a little bit of an out by kind of admitting as we already talked about that the history of that time period isn't really 100% clear and that we shouldn't really be necessarily expected to have like a PhD in Russian history to like understand and be able to run the game. There's like enough there that we can grab a hold of, but you're not expecting and nobody should expect that you have to know all those details to run the game. But there is enough there, which is really nice. But I also really love how you have this section on magic and you make it really very clear that it's just for NPCs. It's not a player thing like the magic is like pretty much in the hands of the bad guys um i mean you can do a little bit there's ways to do magic but like the magical creatures and the monsters are essentially in control of all of it and for you to do it is really bad i mean it's gonna probably cause you some trouble so i kind of just want to talk a little bit about that like because i kind of like those kind of games where the adversary adversaries kind of start like as you mentioned they have a one-up like the monsters are already like you're never really gonna be as powerful as the monsters like i mean i guess if you get all these mutations and stuff it's conceivable <laughs> but for the most part you're not going to be as powerful as the monsters the monsters are going to kind of kick your butt basically at any any time I'll just talk a little bit about the gm portion of the book if you will and and why you made some of the decisions that you did regarding to what you included and you know, as far as the history goes and the specific details there and how you kind of decided on, well, these are the monsters that I want to use, which by the way, are all very cool. Like little, very they're, cool. yeah, they're definitely based in Russian folklore and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool. That adds another level of the flavor to the game. But what? It, how did you kind of come to the decision? These are, this is what I want to include in the GM section. 
Um, so as far as the set, like the uh, kind of the setting description, uh, yeah, I had to kind of make a nod to the fact that most people are not going to be super familiar with what 16th century Russia looks like. So I needed to give some sort of an overview and without getting too exhaustive in it, because, you know, I love really detailed settings uh, in the in in the abstract, <laughs> uh, I just buys them as a GM uh, because it's just so much homework that I have to read through, and then I have to communicate it to the players. It's just like oh my god. So, um, but but I you know I wanted to give as much as possible, and like I try to just hit on like what are like the really kind of important aspects of things because i think everybody can kind of cling on to sort of a vaguely medieval kind of setting you know we kind of all have that default as gamers i think um and just kind of touching on it's like okay here's what makes medieval russia unique you know here's if you include these kind of elements or these flavors it's gonna feel vaguely russian which is really just all we're going for we're not going for like you know, historical accuracy. We're just going for like a kind of like a flavor of authenticity. Um, and then, uh, you know, and that I did include a, uh, a bibliography for, for anybody that wanted to do some, some deep dives uh, <laughs> into the, uh, into the history. Uh, and then as far as the magic system goes, you know, it's funny cause there is a, there is a spell list in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, 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 really didn't want to write the spell list. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I finally just caved because I just kept thinking about it, thinking about it, and I was like, "People are gonna want a spell list. Like they're, they're just they're just gonna want examples. They're gonna know, no. Because I wanted the one of the things that I don't like about role playing games in this genre is that magic never feels um, unique." or it never feels as mysterious as it feels in a, a lot of fiction. And even in a lot of fiction, it doesn't always end up feeling mysterious. Like, Cause like my favorite kind of magic is stuff from like old, uh, like Robert E. Howard Conan. Yeah, where yes, I know like, exactly. There's some sorcerer and like, he grabs like a handful of something over here and something over here and like he throws it and he says something and then like something bad happens and you're like, oh, oh, oh what, what, what is that? <laughs> and like the not knowing what it is and the not knowing how it works is really, really uh, kind of pivotal to that whole genre and that whole feel. So I wanted to give, certainly I wanted to give GMs enough space to have like, look, if you don't want to think too much about magic, here's some random tables for like, you know, like magical ingredients, magical, like how long effects last, this, that. Uh, here's a spell list. Uh, keep it rare. Just, you know, use stuff from here or whatever. But also, if you want to totally make up a spell, have at it. And yeah, that's that- what I love. That's what I wanted to interject here because I love it. So this is, again, I'm like so sadistic here. There, There's like this, because you say like, there's a quote here. It says, because of this, many adversaries will be able to wield magic that is beyond the understanding and the abilities of the characters. You're essentially saying that the monsters can do whatever they want and good luck characters. And the spell list, while it is, it's actually pretty extensive that the players can utilize. But it is it's vague. pretty basic and it's vague. Yeah, so like, <laughs> like, I mean, the game master, which and I'm in that same place as you when it comes to like thinking of, like I love the the old school, you know, sword and sorcery books where the magic is like, is so special that like for me, I'm like totally, you know, hobbling player character magic and the bad guys are gonna be doing that crazy stuff. Like you're describing, like grabbing the skull and like, you know, raising it in the air and light beams are shooting out of it and who knows what's happening. You know, they're summoning some horrible thing, you know? So I I like that because you're really giving, you're giving enough, like you said, that the players, there's something there to like grab a hold of, but it's not really like the, ultimately the game master has full control over how this stuff is gonna work. Yeah, because like to me, like nothing kind of like sucks the 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 magic. Well, 
the magic, <laughs> as it were, <laughs> out of the moment more than when the bad guy shows up and he starts doing something and one of the players says like, oh, he's casting this. You know, he's casting this spell. Or, oh, it's that spell. Or, oh, he's casting that spell. So that means he's got to be a this level wizard. Oh, that's the worst. And like that habit. And it like, it just totally breaks the, like the, you know, the suspension of disbelief for me. And like, then you start, and it's one of the reasons also why, like I I wanted to make the, the combat system as abstract as possible because nothing pulls me out of the moment more when we put the, like the little battle mat on on the table and we start moving the figures around, you know? And it's just like, well, I want to think about like, what am I doing in the moment? Not like, what is the most mechanically advantageous for me to do at the moment, you know? Mm -hmm. I want that, I'll play a board game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So talk about monsters. Let's talk about the monsters because it's a really nice little section. I mean, you know, you just say sample monsters. And I love, by the way, the art that you picked up Oh, um, yeah. you know, to add with it as well. Um, and you only have a few monsters here, but they're all really cool. And they're obviously based in sort of Russian folklore and history. So talk a little bit about sort of your decisions on those. Yeah, so the, um, so I tried to give, make the monsters as kind of like, give them as much of like a sort of Russian flavor as I could. Um, so some of them are, are, are uh, kind of drawn from the, I wouldn't say any of them are like specifically drawn whole cloth. Um, you know, there's like kind of the forest spirit. That's a little bit more uh, direct. Um, you know, there's kind of like the werewolfy kind of creature. The um, the actually one of the creatures that's in there, the um, sort of the the flesh eating uh, demon. Uh, that actually comes from a short story that I wrote. Um, oh, really? That is, it's like, I guess canonically, it's a Hounds of the Czar story um, because uh, the, there isn't a preachnik in it uh who's like hunting the monster uh so um that oh, what is that so what is the story i mean tell the people like how can if people want to read this i mean they might be able to get a little flavor yeah so um the story's called rain and iron um it was uh it's oh god it's uh it's been in a couple different anthologies um it's it's in uh an anthology that i put out called uh, distant worlds um I'm forgetting, wait, I'm forgetting which volume it's in. That would be, that would be important information to know that I should have, <laughs> I, I am uh, planning to like, kind of like re uh, release it for like something for the Kickstarter. So like, you'll probably be getting it in some form here sometime soon. Um, I, I'd like, I might, I'm, I'm going to try to do like a little like illustrated version of it. Um, so it, it will be coming along um, and it's like, it, you, you'll love it. It's really dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the stuff I've been reading lately. I'm all about the it's grim really dark. dark. <laughs> so, it's one of those stories where like, I've had people read it and they'll be like, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, so that monster's there. And then um, um, do you, I'm not sure. Cause I, I did do a, um, there was a previous version of the, of the game that was, um, that was on itch. So I don't know if, which version you have. Um, does it have the dragon in it? No, no dragon. Oh, okay. So, all right. The, so the, the new version, which has gotten, um, cause I, I read it all the layout, read it a lot of the art to make it just kind of more consistent. Ooh. Okay. Um, and, uh, it, it has a new, uh, monster in it, which is the, um, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. It's the, uh, the Zmei, which is kind of the, the classic Russian multi-headed dragon. Uh, it, it's really nasty. You don't want to fight it. <laughs> nice. What I want to use it against my players. <laughs> I think it even has a disclaimer where it says like, this is a fearsome opponent that is probably beyond the power of even an experienced group. Use it at your <laughs> Which is what a dragon should be. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree with you on that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'll kind of want to point, you know, just I'll just mention this too, is, you know, we've been, we're talking about Last Readout Games and your game stuff, but I wanted to mention here, I might as well, that, you know, BenjaminSperduto.com has your, all of your books, including the... Um, the Black Spire books and all that. So, you know, if people are interested in sort of catching up with the other half of your creative output, um, that's out there as well. I want to finish up with one last thing here about the game that I think is really fascinating. And that's the way that you have kind of put together 
the adventure setup. You've got it organized it into these mission sheets. So describe that, if you will, because I think that was really kind of cool and sort of a different way of looking at it. Yeah, these are, um, I mean, they're really, they really ended up being more like outlines. I think, um, I, th I think there was a, I, I had kind of had an intention to make them a little bit more detailed, uh, but I wanted to make sure that they all fit on one page. So the purpose of the mission sheets is really just kind of to give you a rough outline of an adventure framework of, of say like, okay, here's the location, here's the situation, here's a couple character names or a couple of figures you could come up with that might be here, here's some potential adversaries, and then kind of like a, a loose sort of um, kind of three or four act structure of like this event's gonna happen and then this event happens and then this event happens. Um, and then also this event could, or this could happen, this could happen, blah, blah, you know, I have like some options in there. Um, and it's really more uh, for someone who's deciding that they're just gonna run a, you know, a quick session or two to kind of look at the sheet and say like, oh, okay, it's gonna be in this town. Uh, all right, well, who should the, like, uh, who should the merchant in this town be? Oh, it's going to be this guy or it's going to be that guy. So it kind of just gives you like that rough skeleton uh, that you can like quickly put names to stuff uh, and then kind of take it off in whatever direction you want to go in. Because well, uh, I, I don't I don't really like doing like writing out like full length adventures, uh, mostly because I don't even do that when I write games. <laughs> <laughs> or when I play games, it's like, ah, I don't know, I'm going to make it up or like, I'm just going to have like a really rough outline and I don't want to railroad people. So do whatever. Um, no, I'm the I same way. And then, you know, actually, I, I want to kind of point people out to this because there's, I, I believe there's five of these mission sheets in the, in the back of the book, at least in the version that I have. And one yeah. of them is rain and iron. Yeah. So that it, is definitely it, kind it, of, it is loosely based on, on the short story. Yeah. Very cool. And so one of the things, though, is that the reason why I like this, why we're going to point this out is because I feel like it fits into the general concept of the game, which you're saying, well, you know, maybe you want to make them longer or whatever. But I actually kind of feel like this is the kind of game where it is better, I think, and better executed if the game master is running it from a place where everything isn't written down like that, that it does allow a certain level of flexibility and kind of going with the flow as far as how the characters are interacting with the world, how the world is coming together within your group. Cause you know how that's different every single time. I mean, we're this, right. you're talking about historical Russia, but it is an alt history game. So what that means is totally different to every single group. And so it's kind of nice not to be like, well, here's a map and it has all these houses on it. And like each one's listed and it has every NPC and here's where the forest is and here's the dungeon. And like, you know, it doesn't have all of that. It's just enough that you can like, I mean, I could actually, I've read this book well enough. I could probably run a game with maybe an hour of prep work at this point. And I would feel totally comfortable. Now, it, I think you have to be that kind of game master, but I also think the audience that you're speaking to who would be interested in this game are the kind of game masters that are comfortable in that place where you don't necessarily need to have a giant binder before you play session one that tells you the entire history of the world that you're playing in with all of the NPCs laid out. It's like, here's enough. Let's see what happens next. Right. Because I, I, I've always felt that, uh, like, honestly, most, most, I don't think most players want that really because you know the players want it to be their story you know they don't want to kind of it's one of the reasons why like i always love the idea of playing in a um like playing a star wars rpg until i sit down to play in the star wars rpg and then it's like oh god all right i know who this guy is i know what's going on here now my character has to pretend like i don't know who this guy is and blah, 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 you know <laughs> so, but, um, and it's it just it, to me it just always feels very constraining um or it's the opposite where you feel like you don't know stuff that you should know like not knowing the thing you as a player not knowing the things that your character would know about the world that they live in mm -hmm. um and like, like this game is, I mean, this game kind of runs into that problem, but I, I felt like since you're, you kind of know what the social structure looks like. And then, you know, 
I mean, in this period of history, you move like five miles from where you live and like you're, you might as well be in another country. Like right. you don't know mm-hmm. there, like you don't know, you don't know what the power dynamic is like going on, like, like, you know, a hundred miles away from your village. Like it's, it's like going to a different planet. So like, you're kind of already removed from that situation and you're kind of walking into all these places cold and you're like, well, I'm here on the czar's authority. So everybody better step two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that, you know, game masters, I think you can rely on the fact that your players are probably going to buy into whatever you're selling. If you do a good job of selling it, like, you know, I ran, you know, we were talking before we started the interview, a game that I feel has like a, a little bit of a similar heart though, a different background. And that's the D sanction. And I ran a game of the D sanction, um, a couple of weeks ago and one of the players that's is in the game is british and we're playing like in an area that he knows like of in the real world but he also knows that in the time period that we're playing in like those details that he knows about the world now really didn't matter at all so like it didn't right. impact that negatively the most important thing was just getting the feel of what the game is about and once you got the feel I mean, isn't it kind of our jobs as game masters to just sort of professionally BS our way through like a session and then just do it again the next session and then do it again the next session, just perpetually for as long as we can get away with it? Yeah, and I think players generally are like willing to kind of go with the flow of stuff. Um, You know, I've always felt like, you know, as running games where the stuff will happen and I'll just like, like obsess about something for like two days. You'd be like, oh God, that one stretch was just so awkward or like, you know, and then like I asked somebody, they're like, oh yeah, I didn't even notice, whatever. Like, it, it's like, yeah, <laughs> right. it's weird, but like, I, you know, it, whatever, <laughs> we forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, right. That's not even, the, and those are never the moments that people even fixate on anyway. Like they, yeah. players always find their own thing that you don't think like matters at all is the most important thing of their entire adventure. So I kind of feel like what's great about this game is it gives you enough detail and enough to work with that you can have a nice, strong, solid foundation to build the game on. And then each table can kind of take it their own direction. And I think that that's what I love about these mission sheets because they're not necessarily, you know, actually one of the hardest things for me is like thinking of names and and village locations and stuff like that feels period specific and you mm-hmm. give her those details and like that's all i need like once i can do that stories are stories you know yeah. what i mean stories are stories so like once you kind of have those details figured out um i think it goes a long way so anyway i love the game and i know you're now you've doubled your goal amount at the time of this recording here so far. So congratulations on congratulations on that. You've already met your goal, but as I mentioned before, I really want you to get to the 2000 goal because I really want to get that Zardai, the <laughs> special limited edition D4. <laughs> the very last minute <laughs> Kickstarter edition. What you did not see was me like designing it and, and like make it, putting like, each image that's on it, like mapping each of it onto the side of the D4 and then seeing the rendered example of the D4 and then remembering it's like, oh, that's not how a D4 works, Ben. It's not one thing on each side. Oh no. <laughs> and then and then spending like 20 minutes looking at one of my D4s trying to figure out how all the sides were mapped so that everything would come together. Oh my God. Hilarious. Oh my God. The trials and tribulations of a game designer, apparently. <laughs> well, Ben, if people want to get a hold of back the Kickstarter, find all of your games, what's the best way for people to do that? How can people get a hold of you? How can people not only find this game, but find your other games? Because you've done a lot of really great games. I mean, we've talked about I love Weirdwood. I haven't gotten a chance oh, to yeah. dive into Augmented yet, but I can't wait to play a rules light cyberpunk game because I love <laughs> cyberpunk and I hate every cyberpunk game. So <laughs> it's kind of like you in Star Wars. I like open up, I'm like, yeah, cyberpunk's awesome. And then I'm like, damn it, there's a lot of rules yep. and I don't really <laughs> want to play it. Um, so I'm excited about that. And this game looks amazing and I can't wait to play it. 
if people want to back this game, people want to find out more about any of your games, how can they do that? What's the best way for people to do that? Yeah, so uh, Hounds of the Czar will be running uh, for the next couple weeks on uh, Kickstarter. It's um, uh, Hounds of the Czar Print Edition. That's where you can find it. And then um, uh, for all my other stuff, you can get digitally. Um, uh, well, I mean, you could go to the main website, which is uh, www.lastredoutgames.com. You can actually order physical copies of Weirdwood and Augmented directly from the website now i, I saw that i was excited that you could finally bit the bullet and set that up um and then you can get all the games uh, digitally on uh, itch.io or drive through rpg yeah and i'm going to say it again you know if people are not yet really familiar with your games um the best way i think to get involved to, to back it on the kickstarter is just do the house of the czar or the hounds of the czar pr print copy with all the pdfs it's like 50 bucks but you get so many games and so, so much content. Many. Oh my God. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Cause I did that. We did that for the augmented Kickstarter. And it's like, I can't, I haven't even read all the games. I'm not even going to lie. There's so much there and it's, it's all different genres. They're all equally well-researched and have this really incredible background or a story that relates to you. And they're all really great. So Ben, we really appreciate you coming I'd on today. For all of them is like kind of this like rules light approach. Um, we're trying to like kind of give you permission to sort of do what you want uh, with the game. Um, and uh, on the uh, the Kickstarter, you can actually add on. Uh, you can do add-ons for physical copies of Weirdwood and Augmented. Uh, well. I couldn't say recommend Weirdwood enough. I mean, oh, it was just God. such a fat turn. Uh, it's so much. Well, I, I, I actually like uh, was listening to one of your episodes the other day while I was on a, on a flight and it was the one where you were talking, it was the car episode where you were talking about, uh, uh, about running Weirdwood and like, <sighs> like listening to that whole like setup and that whole situation was like, it was like, that is exactly why I did that game. The, the yeah. way it was. It's one the of the most powerful thing I never would have come up with in a million <laughs> years on my own. <laughs> it was one of the more powerful role-playing experiences I've ever had. And that's a sign of a good game. I mean, good players too, but when yeah. a game has enough rules to guide you in a certain direction so that there's like an internal consistency, but allows enough freedom that good players can play well in that game. I think that's like the kind of medium that I'm always looking for. Now, sometimes a game can have a lot more rules and still do that, but mm -hmm. it, the more you add, the better you gotta be at making rules in order to stay in that place. Yeah. And it's usually really hard. Um, so, and I, I feel really good about this. And I can't wait to play Hounds of the Czar. And, uh, and Ben, we really appreciate you coming on, man, and, and telling us all about it. We'll, we'll be, uh, we'll be keeping our fingers crossed for that $2,000 mark. So that way that Rob can have his own D4 to use with his <laughs> gameplay. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for having me. This has been great. RPGs and Baby Makes 3 is a production of Gretchen and Rob sitting on their couch. Email the show at rpgsandbabymakes3 at gmail.com. You can find more episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes, as well as on our free Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash RPGs and Baby Makes 3.